questions while we're waiting for God to fulfill his promises. Uh, the scriptures are filled with God's promises from one cover to the other. God has made promises to us um, based on circumstances, situations that we may find ourselves in. God has made promises to us about the future, things that are yet to come. And we look at every one of God's promises with a great sense of expectation, right? Why? Because we believe that God doesn't make promises and then breaks them. Or that God doesn't make a promise and then He does not intend to fulfill it. Everything that God says He will do, He will do. That's what makes Him God. Nobody can dictate to Him the timing of His plans or His purpose. Nobody can dictate, dictate to Him the conditions of His plans and purpose. Our response is to simply trust. Everybody say trust. And can I tell you that trust means that God doesn't just do what you want Him to do or you expect Him to do when you want it to happen. God is not a fast food joint that we, we drive up to because we want something and, we, and He delivers right away. There's this virtue called patience that you and I must allow Him to work into our lives as we wait on Him to fulfill His promises in our hearts. But I will be the first to admit this morning, friends, that patience is not easy. Ever since I was growing up, and my parents are here, they'll testify to this, when I would hear the phrase, be patient, that was the last thing I wanted to hear. Because in my mind, whatever it is that I, I'm expecting to come, I want it right now. I cannot wait to enjoy it. I cannot wait to experience it. Patience is hard. But it's important for us to learn patience. Why? Because in waiting for that promise to be fulfilled, there is a process that I believe God wants to take us through in preparing us for the fulfillment of that promise. Truly, I believe with all my heart that if God was to do immediately what He's promised us without allowing us to go through a season of preparation, we would not be ready to handle what He brings into our lives. And there are many times that we, you know, we, we rush God and we, we tell God, no, I want it now. And God is like, no, it's not my purpose, it's not my plan. And we insist. And there are times, even in the Scriptures, we see this where God acquiesces, but then only to show them when you wanted it now, that was not the best time for it. I would rather wait on God and trust His timing than to rush Him and then regret that I didn't wait. Um, you know, there's, there's a story I heard uh, about a famous pastor named Philip Brooks from the last century. He was in his office, he was pacing the floor, he was frustrated about something, and somebody walks into his office and asks him, Pastor, what is the matter? And he simply says, I'm in a hurry, but God isn't. I'm in a hurry, but God is not. And how many times we felt that same way? where we know something that God, is, that God has promised us, we're expecting something that, that we know is part of His will and purpose for our lives, but in our minds, we want it now, but God is delaying. Again, we're talking about the importance of patience and waiting on the Lord to fulfill His promise in our lives. As I said earlier, all of us relate to the sense of impatience that arises when God's promises are not being fulfilled as quickly as we want. I mean, we do that with human beings, right? We get antsy, we get frustrated when they don't do what they're supposed to do, when we expect them to do it. And in the same way, sometimes we approach God with that same mentality. God, why not now? God, what's the delay? God, what's going on? God, do you not care? God, do you not see what I'm going through? And all the while, the Father is saying, just wait, just wait, just wait. In the story we're going to look at this morning, we see the Israelites on their journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. Now, of course, historians will tell you that this was not a journey that should have taken 40 years, and yet that's exactly what it took. Why? Because there were some things that God needed to do in the hearts of the people. Of course, their constant rebellion and constant demanding of God to work according to their timeline caused them to have to face judgment after judgment after judgment on the way to the Promised Land. 
But in the story we're going to read this morning, we're going to see the scripture. The scripture described the Israelites arriving at a place called Kadesh. Kadesh was about roughly 11 miles from Mount Sinai where Moses first received instruction from the Lord to go to Egypt and deliver the people. And when Moses brought them back, this was the very same mountain that Moses led the people of Israel to where they had an encounter with God. And the scripture says that when they proceeded from that point, they came to a place called Kadesh. And it is at Kadesh that Moses' big sister Miriam passed away and it is at that location she was buried. And when the people of Israel settled in that location for a temporary period of time, one of the most important things they discovered was a lack of water. There was no water around. Now imagine when you're having to take care of yourself and maybe two or three other people and you're trying to figure out how am I going to get them something to drink. Now factor that over multiple millions where you have to, you have to address a need for 2.5 million people roughly. And the scripture says there was no water around for people to drink. And so naturally, as they've always done, as they typically done in the past, they began to cry out to Moses. They began to say, Moses, you brought us out of Egypt so we can come over here and die. You brought us here to suffer. You brought us here to be tormented. And they, be- they began taking out their frustration on Moses and Aaron, accusing these men and essentially accusing God of causing their pain. How many times when you and I are waiting for God to fulfill His promise? And it's not coming as quickly as we wanted to. Or it's not coming the way we expected to. And subconsciously we're saying, God, you don't know what you're doing. Or we're saying, God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? At the Branch Forest campus a few weeks ago, I, I taught on the story of Ab- Abraham and, and Sarai. And, and one of the things that Sarai noted, she, she said this to her husband in coming to him with the suggestion about offering her servant to her maidservant to him to, be, to become the, father, uh, the, the, the mother of, of his children, she said, God has not allowed me to get pregnant. In Sarai's mind, because the fulfillment of God's promise did not come at a time she expected to, her mentality was to think, God is not looking on me with favor. And so how many times subconsciously we do that ourselves, where things are not happening the way we want them to, and we begin to say, God, do you not love me? God, do you not care about me? God, do you want me to suffer? This is what the people of Israel started to do. And so the scripture says in response, Moses and Aaron went to the Lord and they sought his direction. And so I want us to read beginning in verse 8 of Numbers chapter 20. And we're going to read from verse 8 to verse 13. The scriptures tell us God's instruction to Moses was, Take the staff and you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation and speak. Everybody say speak. Speak to the rock before their eyes that it shall yield its water. And so you shall bring water, water for them out of the rock and have the congregation and their livestock drink. And so Moses took the staff from before the Lord just as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron summoned the assembly in front of the rock. And he said to them, Listen now you rebels, shall we? It's a flag. Red flag. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Verse 11. Then Moses raised his hand and he struck. Everybody say struck. He struck the rock twice with his staff and water came out abundantly and the congregation and the livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Since you did not trust in me, to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel. For this reason, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. 
Those were called the waters of Meribah because the sons of Israel argued with the Lord and he proved himself holy among them. Now, of course, you read this scenario and I'll tell you this, the first time, you know, early in my walk with the Lord, when I began to read this story, I thought to myself, God, that, the punishment does not fit the crime. I mean, this is your servant. This is Moses. This is not some regular old person. This is Moses. And, and, and just because he struck the rock, rather than speak to the rock, you're saying he's not going to enter the promised land? God, that is not fair. At least that's my thinking. And in a lot of ways, we can, we can, we can see that story, read the story, and think the same way. That, wow, God is harsh. But, but I think it's important for us to realize something, that, that there's, a, there's a bigger issue that God, wanted to, that God was addressing in doing what He did. And, and now, how many of you have heard this phrase before, you, missing the forest for the trees? Raise your hand. What that phrase means is that you are so focused on something minute that you miss the bigger picture of what's more important. How many times when we are facing a need or a situation or a struggle, again, we're talking about waiting on God's promises to be fulfilled in our lives, and we're saying, God, what's going on? And we see the promise not fulfilled the way we expect it to or the way we think it should. And we're saying, God, what's the deal in my life? And, 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 and we look at this scenario with Moses and we're saying, God, how, how, why would you do what you did? What's the big deal with the fact that Moses struck the rock? After all, he struck the rock and you allowed water to come out. It'd be a different story if Moses struck the rock once and nothing happened. And people are looking at him like, is something supposed to happen? And Moses strikes it again and nothing happens. And oh, 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 no, 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 I wasn't supposed to strike it. I was supposed to speak it. No, he struck the rock twice and scripture says water came out. So in spite of his disobedience, God still provided the need of the people. But God wasn't going to forget what Moses did. Because what Moses did was he lost sight of the forest and he focused on the tree. What is this tree? He got frustrated. Everybody say frustrated. He got frustrated with the people. Yeah, he loved these people. He was committed to them and committed to God's purpose for their lives. But he got tired of their constant nagging and their complaining and constantly turning against the Lord every time something went wrong in their lives. And the scripture says that Moses took his frustration out on the people and in doing so, he focused on a tree when God said, my bigger purpose is larger than that. And what is God's purpose? It is His glory. God wanted the people of Israel to come to an awareness of His glory. When Moses did what he did, he caused the people of Israel to lose sight of the greater purpose that God had in providing that water. You see, everything that God does, friends, is about Him. Do you understand that this morning? You and I exist for Him. We don't exist unto ourselves. We exist for Him. The scriptures, and I'm going to allude to this in just a moment, the scriptures describe that everything that has been created is for His glory. So, the, so in other words, the number one priority, even in this process of waiting on the Lord, is not for the need that you're waiting for to be met. The greater priority is that He is glorified in meeting that need. Too often we're waiting for God to just do what we want Him to do, but we forget that what He does for us is not what's most important. It's the fact that He gets the glory for what He has done in our lives. And you and I need to embrace this new mindset if, it's not already, if it, this is not our current mindset. That everything about me is about bringing Him glory. 
My words, my actions, my attitude, how I treat people, how I relate to people has to be about bringing Him glory. And so the question always must be, is what I'm about to do, is what I'm about to say, is how I'm about to act, is it going to glorify God? And it's a radically different way of thinking than, from the, than the way the world thinks. When we think about accomplishment from the world's perspective, we think about how it benefits us. We focus on how it impacts our lives. But when it comes to those who are living for the Lord and we wait on the Lord for Him to work in our lives, it's always about Him. What is the glory of God? It is the, it is the revelation of His majestic beauty, splendor, and power. I want to describe to you what the Scriptures say about the glory of God. Number one, the glory of God is described as, a great, as great, as eternal, as rich, and all-encompassing. The glory of God is expressed in His name. It is displayed in His majesty, in His power, in His actions, in His holiness. The glory of God was revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And it is the glory of God that is a work in the hearts and lives of every child of God as we are being changed to reflect Him more and more. Everything about who, who we are, everything about who we are becoming is about the glory of God, about exalting Him and Him, him above all else. And so for us, friends, the theme of our lives must be His glory. As you are waiting for the Lord to fulfill His many promises to you, never forget that it is not the promise itself that is the most important thing. It is the fact that He gets the glory for it. And in that moment when Moses struck that rock twice, what he did was he made it about them, that, that specific need, and not about God. And it's something that we must be very, very careful about, not to allow our frustration with God's process distract us from His ultimate purpose, of glorifying Himself in our lives. And how do we do that? How do we see this play out in Moses' and Aaron's story? There are three things I want to share with you this morning that they did that I think it's important for us to take stock of. Number one, in striking that rock twice, this is what Aaron and Moses did. They took credit for something that should have been attributed to God. Notice the statement he asked, Shall we? And it's not that Moses you know, believe that he was, that the power came from himself. But again, in that moment of frustration, he was focused on self. He took credit for something that should have been attributed to God. How many times in our own lives, God has done something for us, and, we were, and when we had an opportunity to testify to the goodness and faithfulness of God at work in our lives, we took credit for it. That promotion, I got it. I earned it. I deserve it. That accomplishment, it's mine to take glory for. Where, 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 where what we're supposed to give God credit for, we keep for ourselves. And it's something that all of us struggle with. And it's something that we all must be mindful of. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from who? We know this. And yet subconsciously, human nature wants to take credit for what we, for what we should be attributing to God. That's what Moses and Aaron did. And God took that seriously. Why? Because it was taken away from His glory. Emphasis on His glory. I want to share with you what Isaiah 42 verse 8 writes. And I'm reading from the New English Translation. It says, God says, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not share. Everybody say share. God says, I will not share my glory with anyone else. Or the praise that is due me with idols. So God says that there is a credit that we are meant to give to Him, that belongs to Him, that He will not share. Now, you know, we can't look at God and say, well, God, that's not right. You should be able to share. No, no, we are not God. 
We will never be at his level. And so to claim our right to what belongs to him is not ours to dictate. I am grateful that this holy, righteous, perfect God has chosen to make his heart, my heart his home. That he's chosen to bring me into a relationship with me. He calls me his, his son. He calls you and I his children. But friends, we need to rem- remember our place. He is God and we are not. And we must learn to not take for ourselves what belongs to him. We must always ascribe credit for the things he has done. Testify. Testify when the opportunity arises where your hope has been placed in and why you've placed your hope in Christ. It is not only simply about sharing the gospel or sharing about, about, about the good news of salvation, but it's about testifying to the things that God is doing in our lives. That, that when, when a person says, wow, I, congratulations on X, Y, and Z, you did, you did great in this area of your life, we can say it is by the grace of God. It is by the mercy of God. We point them back to Him. We're giving Him glory. The second thing they did is not only did they take credit for something that should have been attributed to God, but they robbed God of the opportunity to display His glory. I want you to note what the Lord said to Moses. You did not treat me as holy. Now, again, we look at Moses and we look at what he has done for God and we look at his interactions with the Lord and we know certainly that even after this scenario, God didn't stop interacting with Moses, right? But God wanted Moses to understand that in this moment when you made it about you and you took the focus of the people off of me, you robbed me of the opportunity to display my glory. See, the people of Israel in this, in this season of traveling, from, of journeying from, the, from Egypt to the promised land had so many instances and opportunities to see God display His glory. As, as early as when they, when, when they were in Egypt, when, when, all, when God began to unleash all of these plagues to, to display His power. And when they left Egypt, and the scripture tells us that, that during the day God would guide them by a cloud, and then at night He would guide them by a pillar of fire. When, when Pharaoh came at them and wanted to destroy them, and they were backed, they were on, they were, as Pharaoh was charging at them, behind them was the Red Sea. God parted the waters to let them cross and dry ground. And then when they get, and then when they get to, to, uh, on their way to the promised land, God provides manna for them when they're hungry. He provides water when they need it. God displayed His, His power in their lives, and yet they kept complaining. They would always complain that they were brought to this place so they could die. And in this moment, this was an opportunity for Moses to point them back to Him. And see, brothers and sisters, the need that, that's in front of you is a legit need. But the one who provides provide this need is God. It's not me. And, and how many times, again, in our own lives, we rob God of the opportunity to display His glory because we're unwilling to, 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 to allow His glory to be displayed in our lives and for us to attribute credit to Him for what He's done. I want you to hear what the psalmist says in Psalm 29, verse 2. The Bible says we are to ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due His name. That word ascribe is, is, is an active word. It says that you literally, you, you, it involves recognizing the, the glory that one deserves and then doing everything in your power to ascribe to that person the glory that is due to, the, due to them. It's not, it's not something that just happens passively. It's an, active, it's an active giving credit to God. God says you are to ascribe to me the glory that is due my name. You know, I've heard that illustration used many times before. If, if some dignitary was to walk in, we all know how we would behave, right? We would, we would, we would sit up. We won't be slouchy. We won't, be, we won't look undisciplined. We, we, we would try to project a, 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 a respectable appearance. 
How much more God? We're talking about people who the worst they can do to us, human beings, Scripture says the worst they can do to us is destroy this flesh. But what about the one who can destroy both flesh and the soul? When it comes to God, we are supposed to, we're supposed to recognize Him for who He is and ascribe to Him the glory that is due His name. But in doing what they did, they robbed God of that opportunity. How many times have we done the same? And it's important for us to search our hearts and say, God, have mercy on me for those times where, where you had an opportunity to display your glory in my life and in my circumstance, and I robbed you of that opportunity. Maybe because I was focused on my gain, my want, my desire, my need, and I failed to see the bigger picture of what you wanted to accomplish through me. And here's the last point this morning. Not only did they take credit for something that should have been attributed to God, not only did they rob God of the opportunity to display His glory, but they did not lead Israel to acknowledge God as their ultimate provider. If they had simply done what God had asked them to do, it would have been clear to Israel that it was nothing Moses did. Because all God asked them to do was speak. All God asked them to do was speak. Just speak. And, and, and in that moment, imagine what would have happened if by simply speaking, God demonstrated His power in the lives of those people. What would have happened is those people would walk away thinking, you know what? God is behind us. And there's nothing that I would need that He would not take care of. Again, we're talking about ascribing to God, giving to God the glory that is due His name. The bigger picture of our lives, our, our, our walk, is to bring glory to God. And this third point deals specifically, not, not with us, but specifically with, with those around us. Because here's the thing. You know, when Scripture refers to us as witnesses, what it describes is that we are to be, we are to be testifying with our lips and with our lives what we've experienced. What God has done in our lives. That we demonstrate, that we show that to others so that what they, they turn to Him as well. When Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before all men so that they may see your good deeds. And then it says, Praise your Father. It doesn't say praise you. It says, Praise your Father in heaven. What it means is this, is that every time we ascribe to God the glory that is due His name and we help others to know that, that anything great or good in our lives is because of God, that what it does is it, it, it helps them to understand that He is the one that they should turn to, not us. Not us. But again, when we fail to, to focus on His glory and see that His glory is the greatest priority, then it is easy for us to make it about us and not about Him. Psalm 18 verse 2, and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, simply says this. And I love the way the psalmist describes it because he's speaking from his perspective. Notice he's not speaking second-hand information. He's not telling us what somebody else has told him. This is what he says about God. The Lord is my rock. He is my fortress. He is my Savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield. The power that saves me and my place of safety. This writer is saying, this is who God is for me. And, by, by, and as, a, as, a, as, a, as a natural response, when we read that, what does that say to us? I look to God for the, to be these things in my life. Not that I look to the psalmist to be those. No, I look to God. Why? Because God has been the same for him. When you and I learn to see our lives as existing to bring glory to God, and that every fulfillment of every promise he's made to us is about ultimately bringing glory to his name, then it involves us understanding that we have an opportunity, an, an awesome opportunity. No matter what context we're in, no matter whether it is in school, our, our place of employment, our neighborhood, our, our relationships, our friendships, 
that it is ultimately about pointing others to him. That when they see what he's doing in our lives, that they are drawn to him. When they see the change he brings about in my life, that they're drawn to him, that they want that, that they want to experience that, they desire that. I want us to read that scripture together. And as we read that together out loud, I want us to, to, to make that our own personal declaration. That these are the things that I confess that God is for me today. And then when we leave this place, be committed to walking, these, to walk, to walking out these principles in a way that, that will help others to be drawn to the Lord and to seek Him as well. So let's declare together, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my Savior. My God is my rock, in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. If you believe that, come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap this morning. This is who God says He is. And this is what God says He wants to do in our lives. And so when you look at what happened with Moses and Aaron, you realize why it was such a big deal to God. Why it was so important to God that, that they not do what they had done. And, and I'm grateful, again, thank God for grace, that God doesn't define us by the mistakes we make. Again, not to justify what we should not do. But I'm so grateful that God didn't turn to these men and say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm done with you. I can't, you know, you, you're, you're no good to me anymore. Thank God for that. Thank God that God, God extended grace to them. And in the same way, God extends grace to you and I. Why? Because we don't always get it right. We don't always get it right. But I would encourage you with this very simple thought. As you wait on God, as you walk with Him daily, as you trust Him, as you follow His leading in your life, Never lose sight of the fact that the most important thing, the most important thing about what He does in you is not simply for, is not simply that you gain whatever it is you're expecting from Him, but it's that He gets the glory at the end. In fact, I think, I honestly believe that this is an important litmus test in determining whether what we are pursuing is God, what, God, what God wants or whether it's not what He wants. Because here's the thing, if what we are pursuing is not going to bring God glory, then we ought not pursue that. If what we're pursuing will not honor God, then we ought not pursue it. There are too many believers who we are wanting things that God says He does not want for us. All because the world has presented to us and, and the world presents it as desirable. If it does not honor God, if it does not bring glory to God, friend, then maybe you do not want that. And we must be willing to to, to, to make that very important call. Because again, glorifying God is our greatest priority. So choose to surrender daily, every single day to Him. Let, let your prayer be, God, I want to I glorify you in my life today. In, 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 in pursuing your purpose for my life, in pursuing your plans for my life, God, I want you to be glorified. And if there's anything that would not glorify you, then God, I don't want it. And be, believe me, you friend, God will do that which will bring him glory. And, and in bringing him glory, we know he will always work for our good. I want to invite you to bow your heads with me this morning as we pray. And my prayer is simple. God, help me to prioritize your glory more than anything else. Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of grace and mercy this morning. And I am so grateful for your word. It reminds us this morning, Lord, that 
Inasmuch as, God, you've made many great and glorious promises for us, Lord, and we wait on you with expectation that, God, the most important thing today, Lord, is recognizing that it is not about that promise simply being fulfilled in our lives, but that, Lord, it is that in the process of that promise being fulfilled, that ultimately, Father, you are receiving all of the glory. God, I pray that you will forgive us for the times when we have made it about us, when we've been so focused on that need, that promise being fulfilled, that we forgot that, Lord, there's a grander purpose, Lord, for everything you do in my life, Lord, and it's that ultimately you receive all the glory. And, God, I pray that you help me, Father God, help us today, God, to always to have a, 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 a far greater perspective than what we, are, what we are typically used to, God, where we just focus on ourselves. And help us, Lord, to see in every opportunity, Father, in every occasion, Lord, Father, an invitation to allow you to be glorified in our lives. And God, may, may our light shine bright, Father. The light of Christ in us, Lord. The light of Christ that transforms our lives, that changes us, that gives us hope and the future. May that light shine ever brighter. But God, ultimately, we pray that, Lord, in shining, Father, may that light draw others to you. May you point them to you, Father, so that they would seek you with all of their hearts as well. Father, thank you for helping us, Lord, to live a life that is pleasing to you. Help us, thank you for helping us to live a life that seeks to glorify you. And God, thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be a channel through which, Father God, you would reveal your glory. With every head bowed and every eyes closed, I just want to make a very important but very quick appeal.